Well, hey guys, welcome to Halfway There. We're going to get the show started in just a moment. I just wanted to thank uh, the one person I got to speak to last week, Phoebe. I'm so grateful that you took a few minutes to just hang out with me and tell me what you liked about the show and what you didn't like about the show and how we could get make it better. That helps me so much, and I know that it's going to help everybody who listens to the show, so thank you. Friends, if you want to give me some feedback, you want to spend just a 15 minutes to half an hour having a phone conversation, I would love to do that. I want to talk to as many of you as I can, so if you would, just go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact, halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact. Just send me an email. I'll send you an email and then we'll get it all worked out and we'll have a little conversation um, around um, around the podcast. I'd love to know what you like, what you don't like, uh, some of those kinds of things. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's not too hard. It's pretty simple. And like Phoebe gave me some great ideas, some great feedback, some stuff that she really enjoys about the show. And uh, it just really encouraged me. I hope she was encouraged. And uh, I'd love to encourage you and connect with you as well. So Hey, that's enough of that. Halfway there, podcast.com slash contact. Please hit that button. Send me an email. Let's talk. And let's go ahead and get this show underway. Ready? Here we go. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. This one's going to be a fun one for you. I think you are going to laugh. You might even cry. We'll see where it goes. And uh, no matter what, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to be entertained. So I am here with comedic storyteller Michael Kingsbury. Michael, welcome to Halfway There. Hello. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. Good to be here. Thank you for being here. And uh, you've got an interesting story you shared a little bit with me uh, previously, and I can't wait to hear it. Tell us a little bit about where you are and what you're doing now, and then we'll go back and see how God's brought you here. Great, great. Um, Well, where I am and how I got here now, I'm a I'm a uh, comedic storyteller from Vermont, which is a journey in itself. Uh, we are not the the capital of stand-up comedy, but for the past uh, six years, uh, I've been driving throughout New England to uh, perform stand-up comedy and comedic storytelling in uh, venues and in front of audiences that either appreciate me or sometimes don't appreciate me. And that's just the edge that I run. And it's a lifestyle that I love. That is a hard uh, life, man. That's I, it is, I hear it is a real, it's a real hard, hard life. And it's, uh, it's fraught with both struggle and faith. And, uh, yeah. prior to this moment, I didn't quite see the connection with religion, but there, there, there definitely is. I've had to, you know, despite evidence, I've had to say, I will persevere and continue to do this. And, uh, so, so I, I, it's a fun, it's a hard life, but it's absolutely fun. Um, and on the spiritual side, I am, uh, uh, as of January 6, 2018, I, I was, uh, proclaimed as Christian. So I, I, I I did the deal on that date. It was a, it was a slow progress, which I'm going to talk about, but, uh, it's been a fantastic journey that continues to now. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm a, uh, comedic storyteller that also is a Christian. That's fantastic. We need more people who are able to tell a great story, 
um, and particularly who understand, I think the, the big story that God is telling and how we fit into it, man, I think that's a, there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. And I, I was, um, I was asked to, to do a testimony and at first I, I was sitting there going, what is a testimony? I look <laughs> them up and there's always Christian testimony is the big yeah. thing. And then but the pastor finally said, you know, it's just story. That's what you do. I'm like, oh, oh, so that the modern language is story where, yep. where it's just, um, you know, something that's uh, deeply personal and how you feel about something, you kind of tease out, uh, the depth of it. So, so in my, my own testimony, I really looked at it like, oh, I'm already telling stories. So why don't I look at the faith journey that I've had and, and phrase that in a, in a storytelling type of vein, which is the type that I do is true first person, no notes, uh, and not stand up comedy where it should be funny, but it's not like one line or joke after the next. It's something that has a beginning, middle end. And this point, and this, um, as far as like a faith journey, it just keeps going. There's an end to one part of your faith, but you keep on going. At least with, that's what I'm finding out. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I found too that, you know, and as, and as I've grown in faith and gotten to know more people, uh, I begin hearing pretty amazing stories. I mean, you look at somebody and you think, Based on based on seeing them, that oh they've been they've been Christian since two years old. They were confirmed, and you find out no no this person had a, a really interesting walk. Mm-hmm. So when I hear other people's narratives, it really strengthens my own. Yeah, so well, I'm a huge fan of storytelling. Well, that's <laughs> one of the premises behind this show, and it's one of the reasons that I called it halfway there, right? Because I think a mm-hmm. lot of us assume that we're we're going to just be there, and uh, we're. We're not necessarily, you know, we're, we're always in process. We're always growing. Like you said, uh, the story doesn't really end. And if we believe that we're eternal, we're actually going to live forever learning about God and learning about ourselves and, uh, and our relationship to him, I think. So that's, that's why I called it that. So it's a continued, it's a continued narrative forever, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, to think that, uh, you know, we get to this one point and our faith is right here. And there's no more to that story. I, I, I would, I would imagine that that's the exciting part about it is that you find something new out every single day. Yeah. So absolutely fantastic. Well, so you're in Vermont. Did you grow up in Vermont? I did grow up in Vermont. I grew up in um, uh, rural Rutland County, Vermont, where I'm in the oh, southwestern corner of Vermont. So, um, so yeah, this is where I grew up. I. I did spend some time in the Midwest. I, I married a Vermont girl who uh, tricked me. She was actually from uh, from outside Chicago. So we spent some time <laughs> out in uh, the Midwest, a little bit of time in Minneapolis, and then Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I attended the Second City uh, Second City Training Center. Oh the, wow! The actual Second City is in Chicago. That's where like the big training center is, where John Belushi and Tina Fey came from. But the one I went to was in their affiliate program in Cleveland, and uh, it's a great school. But we had um, we're quite at the same caliber. We were more of a, a kind of a, an extension college. But I got to uh, I got to learn about improvisational comedy and performance, and was doing a lot of a lot of uh, improv and stand up in Cleveland at that time. Yeah. So why? Why, why my was my journey that... took me back to Vermont? Sure. Why was that interesting to you? Why, how did you end up getting into comedy and? Because you don't you don't just wake up one day, most people, and go, "Oh, I'm going to go to Second City." 
<laughs> no, I uh, from from a from a young age. Like if you ask any comedian, I I, I would have a, a just a, a, an opener. I'd do at shows, and I'd ask the comedian. So, what age did you? When did you first think you were going to become become a comedian? I was always always between like the age of six and eight. I was just yeah. a gigantic <laughs> fan of Benny Hill and yeah. and Saturday Night Live, and I just kind of viewed the life through or viewed life through the lens of comedy. I used to write sket or skits, and we would perform them on the on the playground. But I had no real I had no real um, discipline for it. I thought you just walked around just acting funny all the time. That's how you're a comedian. But at Second City, when I was just lucky that it was there, because I got to be involved with a group of people that were pursuing a similar interest to me. Mm-hmm. It was like having having an entire sea of the class clowns in front of you. Everybody <laughs> was funny. Everybody had right. a mind for comedy. And that was intimidating at first because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not the funniest person in the room anymore. But then you start working with people and you begin the, begin the writing process and you also get a supportive environment around you. So I really kind of learned in a safe place what the what – the, um, tough parts of comedy are like when you have a joke that you try in front of an entire audience and it doesn't work and everybody you hear crickets inside you, when you're around comedians you're, you're you've got a supportive environment because they know what that feels like right um i also got to see what happens when an organic scene like a comedy scene builds it's really exciting when you're part of something but unfortunately i was also just after i went Sometimes these places, the second city couldn't um, couldn't at in Cleveland couldn't support itself. So the second city closed, and that scene unfortunately um, left and went other places. But so, and that's been kind of my comedy journey. I've been I've walked I've been in places where I've been with a group of people, and we've created a scene, and they go for a little while, and then you're on to something different. So I'm I'm kind of always evolving in comedy. I started out in improv, then stand up, and then I went to storytelling. So, and who knows what next? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I'm curious about your spiritual climate when you were growing up. What What was that like? I have stated that I'm an atheist. I mean, I think I, I think over time, I just became comfortable. I've had time to reflect on that term as I've as I've uh, gone through this journey. But I think over time, I just became kind of comfortable with that term as far as where I stand in the universe. But when I was young, I I, I grew up loosely in the Methodist Church, uh, loosely meaning that we didn't have a, a strong connection to the church. We weren't one of the families consistently bringing donuts, or uh, <laughs> we we. Would go uh, if there was something better on TV, like uh, uh, cartoons or sports. We had the option of staying home, but I we had some level of participation. I I yearly would participate begrudgingly in the Christmas pageant. I was uh, typecasted four years uh, <laughs> of being the one of the worst the worst dressed of the three wise men. They <laughs> nice. had this. They they always had me wear this horrible. Um, uh, purple bathrobe that was like a men's size 3x it would just drag behind my feet like a you know wedding veil made a shag carpeting and then i had this <laughs> bulbous uh baker's hat with all these rubies that were just plastered on it looked like i looked like an arabian nightmare and we, we didn't have frankincense <laughs> but they gave me this decorative cologne bottle nice that, reeked of old spice yes and it was like it was like a, one of those glass like like ships they're like why is he bringing the 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 
you know, Christopher Columbus shipped to the manger scene. And my parents would just sit in front and just laugh. <laughs> Every year they got a great seat and they laughed. But that the last time I did that, uh, they explained to me that I wasn't going to be doing it anymore. And really, after that, that's that was I say that that's where my church formal church attendance ended and my atheism began. But wow. really, um, after that point, when I was a young kid, we didn't really have a lot of pull to be going to church. And I kind of was left, you know, whether if I wanted to go, I went. But I sort of just drifted away. Mm. You know, it's it's not save that pageant there was nothing that really scarred me as far as religion went nothing that was a bad experience i just kind of went through life through college high school into adulthood thinking well you know i'm a good person there's there i've done maybe a couple things wrong but if there is this anything afterwards i'm gonna be okay because essentially here i'm a good person yeah and consequently Consequently, and and interestingly, over my life, I've had this like on again, off again relationship with a Bible. Like, oh, that's interesting. I would read it. I, I know, and I'd read it, and I'd be like, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, just to say that I like from an intellectual curiosity. But I would start it, and then I would get to that this one verse in Matthew ten thirty seven that says, "You got to love God more than anything, more than your, more than your their spouse, your kid, your Xbox, your dog." And I would just They'll close it and just toss it away on a stack of books that I'm never going to say I'll read, but I never would, because that line of thinking was just at the time totally opposite to the way I wanted to live my life. I mean, I had these goals to do comedy. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And and things in my life were far more important than any concept of God at that time. So that was, you know, through my young adult, through my childhood into my young adulthood, kind of where religion was for me and and where I ended up. Yeah. I, were you if that makes sense? You no, know, it totally makes sense. Were you aware that you were making a choice? Like were you aware of, you know, I'm I I read this and I don't like it because I want to do my own thing or was it just it made you uncomfortable and so you put it down? In retrospect, both. Mm, um in retrospect both. I I think that um if you had asked me at about 35 or 27 that exact same question i would have i would have said well i look at it like any other i didn't read i didn't read don quixote yeah. <laughs> why would it but as i as i look at it now i look at that and that seemed an awful big hill for me to climb as far as that that verse always seemed to me a really big investment that yeah this is Putting God first is what you need to do. And I'd read that and just I, I, I could feel something internally and just say, I, I can't do this. Wow. So I think both. I think there was now as I look at it, there was a charge there. And I think at the time I was quite invested in my own purse for, for a number of reasons. But I, I think as I look at it now, yes, I think both. But at the time, you wouldn't have gotten that answer. You would have yeah. probably gotten a rather snide answer. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting to <laughs> me. That uh, clearly now. Yeah, what's interesting <laughs> to me about that is the, uh, you know, the idea that I think you had a better understanding of that verse as an unbeliever than many of us as believers do. Like there, I, I, 
I possibly I've never kind of I've never thought of it. I think I labored over that verse. Well, it's like I almost looked for it to say, I don't need to read this anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> right. But you understood that to mean that God is making a claim to your life on, yes. with, with that verse. He's saying, no, the kingdom is all consuming. It's all it's this becomes who you are and not anything else that people define themselves by. Not your relationships, not your whatever, not your wealth. It's it's me. And you you got that. You're correct. I would read that. I can actually remember some points in my life. I would read it and I would look around my apartment at the time and I'm like, you know, I still have my Radiohead CDs and I've got any of these things and I don't know. And and uh, yeah, at the, the actual statement seemed it was serious business to me. And at the time, it was easier to just fold that book over and toss it away and not think about it than it was to really put any thought into it. And that worked really well for me, well for me, for a long time. <laughs> right, 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 in quotes. But yeah, it's, it's funny, as I reflect upon that, that that quote, that, that verse in the Bible really had a serious impact on me. That was really every time. It was an, it was an all or nothing thing. It was, it was right. uh, two feet in or not at all. And for a long time, it was not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is totally Jesus' point. It's, it's, uh, I love that, that I just find that so fascinating. It just tickles me that you're, you, you got it. Like you knew what he was trying to, trying to call you to anyway. Uh, okay. Well, go moving on. So you, so you kind of had chosen this life of, okay, I'm going to be a comedian and I don't need God, but you're a little bit fascinated with him. If in a, mm-hmm. in a way that you probably didn't, weren't aware of yet, what was, how'd that continue in your life as you're traveling the comedy circuit, if you will? Well, I um I left Second City, so I, I I I um left Second City. We moved back to Vermont and started doing performing. And for a long time, it was really difficult. I you have to, as I said, you have to endure a lot of struggle in the beginning, and it was a real challenge. The one thing I really love about comedy, the cherish about it, is the fact that. I mean, I had gone to Second City, but you don't need any degree. You don't need any certificate to say Mm. you're a comedian. You just have to have the fortitude to say, I'm going to do this. And despite what people say, I'm going to keep going at it. So I I was doing these shows, kind of learning the ropes going along the way. And I did a lot of shows that were just a major, major challenge. Like the first time I got paid to do improv, uh, we got to this private event with a group and we found out they were performing for a bachelor party for a guy that had no interest in seeing improv, but just miserable with the hardest $20 that I've ever made in my life. Oh, wow. And then, then there was a time that I went to a sports bar that booked me and I get there and they forgot that we were coming. So, and it's game one of the world series. Oh no. So set up these two 400 watt speakers. We just perform anyhow. And these, this, just to see a people in Kansas city, Royal at saying, shut up, you suck for the entire 40 minutes. And you know, it's a lot of those in the early years. And I, and I, that struggle was really important in building me. But I, yeah. I thought, you know, I'm like, you know, when I get to a point, if you stick with anything, you see some success on some level, you hope to see some success. So I've been writing and writing stories. And I eventually got this story published in Chicken Soup for the Soul. 
uh, about an experience flying on a plane with my son. And I got to say, tell that same story on New England Public Radio. And that was, to me, a high watermark because I had always wanted to be published in that very in that very book, in the way that I wanted to be. I wanted some touching comedic story published in that book, and I had gotten it. And then I was on this, I, I was able to get on the CBS News special uh, it, that was uh, highlighting storytelling in Vermont. And I thought, I used to think in those struggling years that when I got to the point where I saw some success, I'm going to be like really satisfied with my life. Everything's going to be good. I'm going to be laid back about it. Mm-hmm. The exact opposite started to happen. The more success that I saw, the more disappointment that I felt mainly in myself. Like I got Mm. to the point where any performance that I did wasn't good enough. Anything that I was writing was not living up to the standard that I was building in my own head of like, you've got to produce high art at all time. And I never thought that way before. And I just got into this real funk where I was in a total writer's block. And it's, you know, it's, it was the antithesis of what I wanted to do. It's, it's comedy. It's supposed to be fun, but it was becoming a complete chore. And around this same time, I've been, I'd done this Christmas show with a guy and uh, with, a bu- with a bunch of comedians. And this friend of mine told me he wanted to tell a story. He told this beautifully, um, beautiful and poignant story about not believing in Santa Claus or believing in Santa Claus until he was 12. And then his parents burst his bubble on that and told him there was no Santa Claus. And that loss of belief really impacted his life. He never had a Christmas to this day that was like that. It was just a really wonderful story. And I said to him afterwards, what a great story. And he looked really down. I'm like, what's wrong? And he said, well, there's a kid in the audience. I just barely told the kid there's no Santa Claus. I did to him what happened to me. Oh, and I looked and there was a kid and I, and I, you know, the old adage, you know, well, the parents brought him. You can't be responsible. But he said, he's like, you know, there's things more important than this. Five months later, I get a text and this man had passed away. And I had no idea. None of us had any idea that he was sick. We didn't even know what he passed away of. But I, I, for once, it was just like he was there and gone. And I learned by text. And for once, I said, I can't just let this go without doing something. I, I know that he'd want to laugh. So I organized this memorial show for him. And you know, we're, we're a funny group. Comedians are. Because we, we, we will share with each other some of the most intimate, mm. embarrassing details. Things that I wouldn't share with my spouse. And we take that. And we have positive regard and we will turn that into comedic gold. Like you get to the point where you think you really know everything there is to know about somebody. I'm on stage and I'm trying to say something beyond just something empty about this man. And I'm just coming up with a blank, a complete, I am completely blanking. And I kind of realized that you can think, you know, everything about somebody, but know nothing of significance. Like, I didn't know why he was sick. I didn't know what he died of. And I certainly didn't know if he believed in God or if he had any concept of what happened to him after he died, because I never asked. And that just really bothered me. The only thing I knew about him was that he thought there was something more important than comedy in life. And I was beginning to think the same myself. Like this comedy don't mean to bring down the mood. It is yeah, comedy. Yeah. Comedy is, is, you know, was, it was 
basically my religion, you know, churches, bars, theaters, or churches, <laughs> bars, theaters, restaurants. That was my church. That worked so well for me for years. But right now, it's not answering some of these bigger questions that I have. Yeah. You know, like, like I have been attending a church. If, if I'm really an atheist, why do I do that? Is it because I like the, the, the donuts? Uh, I don't think so. Wait, so you were, you, wait, you were going to this, church? This entire, this entire time, for two years, I've been attending a church kind of thinking, well, everybody does this. <laughs> and wow. not, and, and, but, but I've been attending a church through this period of time. Yeah, people and don't do that. I sit there and go, why do you do this? Why are you going to church? Is it because you just like the fellowship hour? And I want, I'm like, maybe not. And the same thing, I had had this on-again, off-again relationship with the Bible, and I said, is that really an intellectual curiosity? Are you seeking something? You know, based on those two facts alone, as an atheist, I kind of sucked. <laughs> I, I, I realized that. I'm like, that, those are, that's a really bad atheist right there. <laughs> that, uh, maybe you're an honest atheist. I, I like that. Perhaps I'm an honest uh, atheist. That's interesting. Okay. I, I just a couple things I want to ask about, like so, sure. because I think comedy is just fascinating anyway. Um, I think what you talked about with it taking perseverance to really become a comedian, like you have to really believe something in yourself, right? You have to, you have to have some some sort of resolve to go to go and do that. Uh, like, why? Where did you get that? I think I got it out of out of a lot of practice, there was a deep desire to be a comedian, very deep desire to be a comedian ever since I was a kid. Um, I was actually kind of an introvert. I ended up being more of an extrovert, but I used to say, mm. well, I want to be a comedian. And people are like, well, you never talk. How are you going to yeah. be a comedian? So I knew that I had to break that barrier. But it was, there was this deep internal desire knowing that I had this perspective and could do it if I was given the right situation. But it took a lot. It took a lot of time. The more that the more that you comedy is one of those things you have to learn by doing every class, any class that you take can only teach you certain aesthetics, but you actually have to get up on stage and do it and be willing to hear people say you're not funny or the best is to actually hear people laugh at something that you didn't even think was funny in the first place. Right. So you find that gem and it's just a high, high. You're like, you, you, you ignore every bad thing around it and you look for that moment that's just crystalline and beautiful. You're like, there was that one person that really laughed at my joke about Smurfs and I just <laughs> connected with that one person. Right. And it begins to build like that. You learn you learn what an audience can hear, how an audience can hear it, and you just get better at it. You get to throw out some of the minutiae that you were talking, you know, that you 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 learn how to how to how to not over explain things and cut right to the chase. Um, so over time, it gets easier, and it, it never gets completely easy, but your delivery gets better, right. and your your laughs per minute gets better. Sometimes when you're at a point where you have got your show down, sometimes it's a little less exciting than when you first started. There's times when I said, geez, I'd rather be back in a bar somewhere doing this by the seat of my pants, not knowing if it's going to work or not. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, well, 
that's been my experience with comedy. Is yeah. it's, uh, it's a it's a matter of time and perseverance. Yeah, well, I think that perseverance is interesting because I, I have a feeling that that's going to come into play with your spiritual experience as well. Um, I did you ever have a backup plan? Did you have like a you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I um I actually have a day job, so I'm a social worker during the oh, day. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I, so, oh, definitely, definitely. I um I do teach comedy at a community college in Vermont, but uh, almost everybody you'll say, uh, "So you're a comedian? Yeah. What restaurant do you work at?" <laughs> <laughs> right. And I I always wanted to. I never wanted to be quite that stereotype. So the other question is, all right, what social service agency do you work for? Gotcha. So I I have I from the get go I studied um I, I studied psychology in college, so I knew I was going to have to have that central vocation. Uh, the beauty is that I've been able to create um, a, a comedy career around that where I'm able to do uh, where I've been able to do some touring, but at the same time, you know, keep this nine to five. It's a really weird thing. You 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 work this normal day job and comedians don't know what you do during the day. But the, the minute you're done, like five o'clock, um, I'm just hopping in my car, driving North, like North Adams, Mass, and then having to drive back after a show. But uh, they're they're two separate worlds. Like it, like at my job, people are like, "So you're a comedian? How does that work out?" And I'll explain to them what I'm doing in the evening. Uh-huh. The same thing happens when I end up at a at a you know a restaurant in Massachusetts. They're like, "What do you do during the day?" I'm like. I'm a social worker. I can't even picture it. So you get caught in these two different worlds. It's um, kind of interesting to live in. They're, they're, um, yeah, the, the, the in-between point is your drive from my office to, uh, to whatever show I'm going to, where I'm typically with comedians working on, working on whatever, me, whatever material we're doing. So, so yeah. yeah, that's been in a nutshell, my experience. That's like your phone booth. You're, you're changing into your Superman costume, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Except I'm usually staying. I'm usually staying in the uh, the um, lame uh, khaki pants and a polo shirt that I had on. <laughs> usually the 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 um, the 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 dress is fairly. Um, they work. They work both for both. You're like you could be a comedian or you could be a social worker. Perfect. You look. You look about as dorky for both, so, <laughs> and I'm proud of that. Nice, that's <laughs> awesome. Okay, and then I had another because you said something really interesting about uh, you know the bars and the clubs were your church, which is interesting because when you're the comedian, that makes you the preacher, right? You're <laughs> you're the guy who they're who they're, they're there to see and to to kind of entertain and and bring them something, and so you you were sort of you know, do you feed off of that or is that, I mean, that's, that's touches something in your, in your heart, right. In your soul that, mm-hmm. you know, that's insightful. Um, you know, I think I know when I go, when I go to these places, so the key is to make people laugh. That's what you want to do, but you're also connecting with people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going to these places, there's, there was this, it, no shared experience of this is a place where and and in day to day life I don't get in front of a microphone and start talking to you about things that you know happened to me and my my dad what my relationship or, or flaws in my relationships or or um, you know what my 
you know, insecurities are how I, how I'm afraid of sesame seeds or something like that. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be very conducive to living. I, I just can't come around with a microphone. But there's something really cathartic about saying that to people. And here's the big thing that's cathartic: when you get to a point in comedy when you can really hone your point in and say something. And someone at a bar that lifts their head off a table and said, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. You've just made a real deep connection with someone. And I, I'll give an example oh, wow. of it. Um, I, I'm, I, my son, my son's on the spectrum. My son has autism spectrum disorder. And I've worked very hard to write comedy that's both um, insightful, funny, and, and will – will uh, be something that I could say in a bar, something that I could say to anyone. And I say bars because that's sometimes where your most raucous crowd is. But not only that, be something that will be, um, yeah, not um, derogatory towards autism. It'd be, be uplifting. And I was at this place, um, it was in Pulteney, Vermont, and I'm, I'm at a bar and it, it looks like something that is a mixture of people that have lived in this town for their entire life, drank at this place and a bunch of college students. The last place I, you know, I was looking at the place thinking, I really don't want to talk about something as personal as my son who's on the spectrum. But I said, you know, I'm comfortable talking about this. So I'm going to, and I told this joke and I got some really good laughs and I'm getting off the stage and there's this guy, he's got like a civil war hat on and he's just like, he looked like he just walked off custard's last stand oh, wow. into this bar and he, gets up and comes over to me. I'm like, this is going to be great. He's going to say something derogatory about the joke that I said. I'm, I'm getting I'm braced for it. But he said, you know, I love that joke. I have a I have a, a cousin who's on the spectrum that totally explains her. But I laughed. You like made it OK. Those are moments that I really cherish oh, when the last person you expect is the one who says something that's the most beautiful and sticks with you. It just kind of floored me. It was not what I expected. And that's like when we talked about hearing somebody's story. Yes. And you look at someone, never make an assumption. And I make assumptions to now, but I am never, I am so marveled by what people say. So those are moments when we talk about, you know, being the preacher um, within a church, uh, within a bar setting. Yeah. Um, Potentially, potentially. But in that situation, that relationship might have changed. Um, I was able to vicariously teach someone, but he also taught me something. So, um, yeah. Interesting. You're you're a connector because of the, the way that you tell the story, tell the joke. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I want to say that's the best joke. I think the joke that to me had. There's all sorts of comedy. There's there's wonderful people that do black comedy or shock comedy, but I like to do comedy that people say I've been there. I know that. That's that's the type of comedy that works best for me. Yeah, yeah, because you're connected with them. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you, thank you for all of that. I was just uh, fascinated, and I had to ask the questions. Um, so let's go back to you being a terrible atheist. <laughs> yes, I'm a horrible atheist. I was a horrible atheist. Well, so while you, I'm not, I'm not any longer. But which is fantastic. I can, we're going to get to that right now. I'm a good Christian, so. which is awesome. Because that, uh, that's that's an amazing transformation. But you you always it's had. Hard, it sounds like that. what's that? It's still hard to say. I'm a good Christian. I hear that, and I'm like, 
I'm looking around at, did I just say that about me? Wow. Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> that it, that's new for you and that you're like, oh yeah, that's, it's, whoa. Still, it's still brand new. It's like a, it's like a set of shoes out of a box that I don't really know what to do with. And I <laughs> <laughs> walk, clomp around the house with them. I'm like, eventually I'll take them running in the mud, yeah. but I really don't want to take this new skin running in the mud just yet. You'll break, you'll break <laughs> it in a little bit. It'll be all right. Um, so you always, it sounds like you always had this fascination, like you said, kind of this on again, off again relationship with the Bible. You were going to church. So there's something that was drawing you. What was that inside feeling that, that you were just kind of compelled to go do those things? I think initially it was a connection, just to have a connection to a greater, uh, a larger group. Um, and I think it then became. You know, these are real nice people that I'm hanging out with. I really, um, I really like these people. I don't know that I really view, uh, and and this this was an atheist sitting in church saying these things in my head because I had a lot of conversations, I think, with God now, but by myself, and I I would say, you know, I, I think mm. these are really nice people, but I don't know that I view the world that they that like they do. And that began to shift a little bit over the same period of time when I said to myself, well, how do they view the world? Do you even know how they view the world? Because oh, wow. um, if you don't ask someone, you don't know. And I would, just like the guy in the bar, I would sit there and look at an outward picture and assume, well, geez, I know what that's about. But then I'd be totally fascinated when I find out, no, that's not what I thought at all. Um, regarding the Bible, um, I thought I knew what it was all about because I would start reading it and I had this impression I'd never read the thing. So I started reading it a little bit and learning a little bit from it. Um, that took a little bit of time, but I was, I was learning a little, I was, I decided that, well, if this book is the template for how these people read, maybe I ought to read it. You know, I played Dungeons and Dragons. I read the owner, I read the, uh, I read the um, Dungeon Master's uh, manual so I could know the game. If this book is the template for how these people, if, they, if they're telling me that this book is what they base their life upon, um, why don't I stop uh, being cynical or assuming that I know things and start actually reading the book itself and get some type of an idea about it? Um, like little subtle changes started to happen. Um, Hope I'm not drifting too far no, from the question, but that's great. Subtle changes, so like I didn't really have a template for um, exactly like like some of the words were 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 lost on me, like uh, life's a journey or the and I, I had to get really specific about things, but like subtle things began to change with me, like within my personality. This is an example of a conversation that I wow. might have on any given Friday in my house. I'd be looking around my house and I'd yell to my wife, I can't find the remote control to the TV. That is proof. There is no God (laughs) to which she would say, you know, look between the cushions and have a little patience. But the fact of the matter is that I would look at these life occurrences, mundane life occurrences, and I would see, I would exactly go there. I'd see, well, how 
possibly can this bagel shop not have my favorite bagel? It couldn't be a god. But if I look at things that <laughs> are mundane like that, what's going to happen when something really big happens? Yeah. Uh, who knows? But I started reading, and I'm reading, you know, I got pretty far into the Bible as I was reading it. And I, I'm reading accounts of people that experienced struggle that was far greater than having their ability to watch Orange is the New Black impeded. <laughs> right. And the way they dealt with it was patience. So that's something that I began to work on a little bit and actually began to pray about a little bit. I'm, I'm praying and I'm still kind of saying, well, I'm kind of just trying on this new skin, but I'm actually, I'm actually working on that a little bit. And I'm, I'm finding out um, patience Working on patience is as hard as working on your comedy set because wow. you want your comedy set to be perfect right away, but it can't yep. be. You have to work on it. And oh, yes, patience has been a real lifelong thing for me and something that I have not. I want it now and I want the results right away. But that's something that had that I began to work on. And I could actually feel when people would. I'm like, I know what people are talking about now. Another subtle change that happened, um, I'm, a, I'm a gigantic heavy metal fan, huge heavy metal. Like, I'm going to see a metal show in a couple <laughs> weeks in Montreal, uh, just an ardent heavy metal fan. But you know, as I'm, as I'm going to church, as I'm speaking with people, as I'm, and, and I'm finding that my, play, my iPod playlist, like Metallica and Megadeth are still in there, <laughs> but all of a sudden things like DC Talk and and Hillsong wow. Worship are finding their way in there. And that's the point where I'm like, oh, what's happening to me? But so yeah. there's these subtle changes that were beginning to happen to me as as I as I really, you know, after my friend passed, as I really started reading the Bible and started looking for some type of meaning. But those little subtle changes began to happen. Yeah. Wow, interesting. So take us into the moment when you realized I'm not an atheist. I'm I'm a theist. I'm I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Might take me a second to get there if that's okay. That's okay. Take your time. You're you're the storyteller, man. So I um so I have been, you know, going to this church and I and I they got the there was this email they needed people to hand out water at this outdoor carnival and uh, I I figured like the least I could do is to give some service like I can I could hand out bottles of you know, Evian to people. And the, the pastor is there, and I've always had a, a um, difficult time speaking with pastors. I, I just think they're going to be able to see right through me. But this guy is about my age, so I, I, I identify him with him a little bit. We're walking back to the car, our cars, and we're talking, and he's talking about the band The Smiths, how much he loves The Smiths, which I, I commune with. That, didn't, that was really surreal to me. I'm like, you know, I, I just didn't imagine that a Wesleyan pastor would uh, have it in their toolkit to be a fan of like gothic emo from the 1980s. Yeah. But there was something that we connected with. He's getting into his car before I even think about it. These words come out of my mouth. I said, hey, I'd love to talk to you at some point about how to read the Bible without going stark raving mad. And I just the minute <laughs> I said it, I'm like, I'm trying to grab the words out of the air. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll um, I'll send you an email. And I was like praying that he wouldn't send that email, but he did. And then sets a time to meet. And on the day that we're supposed to meet, I just don't go. I, I, I blow off a meeting with him and, and he was so gracious about it, but I'm, I'm afraid, you know, I'm like really afraid. Like, I think 
you know, he's going to try to convert me over a plate of eggs Benedict. And, and, and yeah. I, I just don't want that. And I wasn't in my mind. I'm like, he's going to try to make me do something I'm not even ready for. But he was great. He was gracious. He said another time to meet. and We met and we just talked like normal people. You know, I had to at the end remind him why we're talking. He's like, oh, yeah, Bible. Don't go crazy. Uh, just read a couple <laughs> books and do what you think is right. Do you want to get the check or me? And the point is that he, you know, I was kind of walking a theological tightrope at the time, and I was trying to balance atheism, which is something that I, I was comfortable with and knew, with faith, which I was sort of discovering. And at that moment, it's like you're in a really delicate situation, a really delicate moment in your life. Like any, if somebody was to like push an agenda or a point of view. That might have run the risk of me falling just never to want to get on again. But the way he approached it was fantastic. There was no push there and it allowed me to kind of keep on moving. And I I was it was the week after Christmas. I'm in my room. I'm in my house alone, which is very odd because I was always chaos in my house. We've got two dogs, kid, wife. It's it's just always running. But I'm there alone and I'm reading the Bible and I get to that verse in Matthew. And I immediately chuck it across the room. I'm like, you know, I, I can't do this. I, I, I can't, you know, is, is this how I have to be? Do I have to like love God more than my, my kid, my, my, my wife, my dog, myself? And that was the real question. Like I, I really wasn't sure that I could put anything, let alone God, over my own personal goals. And I wasn't even, you know, the, the real thing is I wasn't even sure how that might feel or look like. Like, I was really puzzled. I wanted to know, but I wasn't sure what that feeling was like. And I let that percolate for about two days. And I'm in my car in this plaza, this downtown shopping plaza. And I decided that I would just sit there and for a change, think about this verse the way a Christian might think about it. So I, I closed my eyes. And I thought, you know, well, let's suppose that there is a God and that God is all knowing and all forgiving. Then he'd know everything about me, which is unnerving, but he'd forgive me for everything, which is cool. And if God was a primary relation in my life, then every single relation in my life would be impacted in a positive way by that primary relation, which doesn't sound miraculous but to me i never thought of it that way yeah and there was a shift inside my head like this verse that was always so abhorrent to me like all of a sudden became something of beauty and i kind of felt internally like peace not like you know like everything was going to be good i was never so aware that i was going to experience you know tragedy or 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 a struggle but i was like maybe i could have the wherewithal to to deal with it if this is something that I could do. And I kind of freaked out because like, you're supposed to do this on a mountaintop, but I'm in front of a subway <laughs> restaurant. So I, that's you know, okay. a couple of days later, I, I called my pastor and I asked him to resume the conversation mm -hmm. and the walk from my office to, to the restaurant. I knew there wasn't anything you could say that at that point I believed in God and I was a Christian. So that's how it happened to me. Man, that's awesome. That's, uh, do, you might be one of the most thoughtful conversions I've ever heard. 
you know, like you, well, that's very nice. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but it, I mean, it's like, and everybody has their, it's, it's a very personal experience. So I wouldn't, you know, denigrate anybody. I don't say it for that, but I mean, you like, you just, like, this was a long process for you, but you really, when you finally, and that, I just love that this, that verse that, you know, you, you finally realize what, what this means and who God is. And then boom, there you are. It was, it was such a simple shift in my head that I would have never allowed, but, you know, and just speaking with you, Eric, I realized that, you know, I, I, I have, I, when I had, I had spoken in front of my church a couple weeks ago and people talked to me afterwards. They're like, wow, this has been at play in your life for a long time. And I said, yeah, you know, this has been honestly like two years. I said, I made the story seem like about six months, but it's been two years. And then I thought, and it's been a little longer than that. Mm -hmm. Then as we were talking, I'm like, no, Mike, this has been a lifelong journey that you're just now (laughs) realizing. And the real exciting thing is that this journey continues that this is not like a beginning middle end there you go it's tied in a bow this journey continues i've had moments where i have um you know definitely uh the the beauty is that i have this awareness of god now and i've had moments where i'm like you need to think about what you're doing right now what you just called that person in your head who just cut you (laughs) off and and all those things that i didn't want to be accountable for i'm accountable for now and I had this assumption that, you know, I'm going to lose my edge. I can't be a comedian anymore or something. But the, the difference is that I feel like there's kind of a new edge. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I'm doesn't mean that I'm, you know, living this whitewashed life that, you know, I, I everything's going to be perfect. And I, I'm, uh, my, you know, I'm going to live in a house that's that everything is shellacked and and absolutely perfect. No, on the contrary, I, I I'm. You know, it's it's a new edge. I mean, that's uh, uh, Christians that I know have. I'm finding out that life is not easy for anyone, nope. including Christians. That's a revelation. I didn't know that. I, I had wow. assumed and never make an assumption. But but yeah, I I feel that it's it's a new edge, and there's there's a definite change in my personality that is that is continuing to change and grow. But. But um, I'm taught something by, you know, my relation with Christ every day. I absolutely love that. What has this done in your family? It has, it has really it's changed the focus. I think, you know, for a, a long time, because my wife, my wife grew up um, in a religious home. She, she grew up in a, uh, covenant and evangelical. Oh, yeah. And there was, there was a part of me that, um, you know, I was, I was very, uh, uh, there were jokes that I might've made or comments that I might've made. And just that my life, I had not, um, ever factored that outwardly as something that's been important to me. So, and part of it, uh, like some of it, I was doing, in a little bit of secret, like I was reading the Bible in secret. I was, I was hiding it from my wife. Like she'd come downstairs and I would throw it under the cover. Like, she's like, what are you doing? Reading pornography? I'm like, oh no, worse. <laughs> the book of Luke. And, but it, there was this, there was this part of me that I, I would, I would be reading it and I'd be like hypocrite. And, you know, and the night I, I was meeting with the pastor at this restaurant and I was like, you know, I, I haven't told my, my wife any of this. And he's laughing 
He's like, why? I'm like, I don't know what she'll think. It's <laughs> like, well, I would bring it up to her. And I brought it up to her. I'm like, yeah, I got to tell you something. And she's looking at me like, what are you going to tell me? And I said, and I said, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking. And I, I think that that I know that I'm a, I'm a Christian and I, I laid out the points and she was exceedingly happy, but she's like, you know, I've been, you know, I know you've been reading the Bible. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I know I've been doing this. And, and, uh, I, you know, she's seen a, a real, a real change in me, but it's also a change that's ongoing. Sure, you know, I, I never want to be the type of person that uh, I'm a Christian. I don't have to do the dishes now. Right, <laughs> right. Of course, I, yeah. And I don't think that's ever said, but I just um, I, I feel highly aware of um, things that I do that might not glorify Christ and, yeah. and within my own family. And those things, I'm just I'm not beating myself up over those things, but I'm just you know, trying to, I, I think it's really um, impacting my relationship within my family in a positive way. I've always been a good guy, always been the good dad, but there is an awareness that's coming out now that's that's far different, far deeper. Um, looking at looking at just my own personal str- or our own personal struggles with gratitude, like you know, what are we grateful for in things that happen on a daily basis. Um, how are we grateful that we lost the remote control? We get more time to talk to one another, <laughs> right? but, but those, those are things and, it, and it's a new, it's been a new relation. Um, I, my wife was probably more easy with it than I was at first. And, uh, it's like, geez, it wasn't something that I had to keep secret. I could have just come out and said it from the get go, but it also means that I was really seriously pondering it and didn't want to open up my mouth and say something like this. If it wasn't something that was really true. And I just felt like over time, um, you know, one, uh, a, a view of the world had been forged and that that's that's really a change. And I just didn't want to I just didn't want to I want I love my wife so much. I didn't want her to think that uh, I went to bed one day as an atheist and woke up in the woke up or, and I was a Christian just miraculously in the morning. It was a long, thoughtful process. So I explained to her where this came from. And she said, well, that's that's great. Welcome to the fold. Now the real work begins. Wow. <laughs> oh, she was glad you were there. I love that. What a great note. I think we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. I'm sure I can't wait to see what God's going to do with you, Mike. Um, if people want to connect with you, they want to find you, where's the best place for them to do that? Oh, um, well, my WordPress site, when I have it up and running, which I will get it up and running. So, um, so Michael Ray Kingsbury at wordpress.com. Okay. My blog has, current shows that I'm doing, um, current publications that I've been in. Perfect. And, uh, okay, great. I'll have those links friends in the show notes, which you can always find on halfway there podcast.com and, uh, just go there. You'll, it'll be up and, uh, you'll, you'll be able to find Michael if you want to connect with him. For sure. Michael, thank you so much for thank sharing you very much, Eric. your story. It just, uh, you know, for someone who has a, a completely different story, it's just encouraging to know that God is faithful. He's persevering. And, uh, and he's, if he wants you, he's going to come, he's going to 
come and get you no matter how long it takes. So mm-hmm. uh, he'll, he'll find he'll find you anywhere, even in front of a subway restaurant on a Tuesday. Yes, uh, which. It, it was just the perfect place for me to be found. I'm kind of laughing about it. I'm like, yep, you you get, you get the re- you get the you get the the fast food restaurant on a Tuesday. That's how a comedian. <laughs> that's how a comedian. Right. Comes to it's God. not as picturesque as the <laughs> mountaintop. Yeah, it's not as picturesque as the mountaintop, but it's equally effective, and that's all that I, matters. You know what? I think it works for me. <laughs> Amen, brother. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. <laughs>